as well. All right, church, if you would open to Ephesians chapter 5. As we are tracking in our series on calling, uh, we started big with God's call to creation, is his created order and his creative intention for us as image bearers uh, and sin distorting that. Then we come back to God locating that in individuals now in the call to salvation. He calls us to salvation and we respond to him. And as we're, we're starting general, we're moving more and more specific in our, call, in our callings. And today, as we several weeks ago looked at the call for men, uh, godly men and godly women, now we're looking at husbands today. We're looking at wives, the calling of wives. Next week, then we'll even narrow it, the calling as fathers and calling as mothers so uh, we will be in Ephesians 5 this week and next week in, in just opening up the scriptures on what it means for God, God's call on us as husbands. Uh, Ephesians 5 verses 25 to 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one has ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it, I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Holy Spirit, we ask for your illumination to cause us to walk in your good for our lives, so we would experience your joy and oneness with you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We live in a world uh, that is, it's safe to say, very confused when it comes to marriage. You know, I looked this statistic up. The divorce rate has actually decreased over the past couple years, and that's primarily not because people aren't getting divorced like they were. It's because people aren't getting married like they were. People under the impression that love can exist without a, a piece of paper legalizing their love. That's, I've heard that, that argument placed, that I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that I love this other person. We, our love is the expression, and that's the focus, and that's, that's the goal of what we're doing. To which, uh, if I'm ever in a conversation, I haven't had that opportunity yet, but if I'm ever in a conversation with somebody that would tell me that, I would actually turn it back on them and say, I don't think you love your perfect significant other enough. Because if you're always going to have this back door that's open that either of you can walk through to exit the relationship, and you don't want to close that door, really have a wrong understanding of love because our culture locates love with uh, 
how do I feel in my life? How do I feel about myself? How do you feel about me? How do you feel about me? Do I feel love? And so we get in a relationship and I want to feel love from you. And when I don't feel the love like I really want to, then that's when I walk through the back door and I'm out of the relationship. But when we truly understand love, we know that the covenant that the Bible speaks about closes that back door. And it really means till death do us part. Remember asking my grandfather when uh, my grandparents celebrated, I think it was their 60th wedding anniversary. I just asked him, Grandpa, what was different about your understanding of marriage than today? He just simply said it very simply. We meant what we said. Well, they got married in 1946. They meant what they said. He's right. We, we, we treat relationships more contractually. We treat relationships not in covenants, but in a contract. And contracts usually have to, they have the mode of preserving self-interest. All right, I want something out of this, so how is it going to work out for me? But covenants are all about the interests of the other person. And people who are in a covenant biblically, even biblical, uh, business transactions when they happened in ancient times, in, in relationships within the Bible, when those covenants came together, it wasn't looking for the opportunity to say, all right, I've got to get out of this contract because you're not living up to your end of the bargain. If you were in a covenant, you actually looked at another person and said, what do I need to do to make you better at what you're doing because we're in a covenant together? We need to make this work. And there we have the understanding when covenant when a man and woman come into a covenant of marriage, that's what they're doing. They're saying, it's not about my own self-interest, it's about the interest of you. I want your best interest because as, as you're successful, I'm going to be successful. And that's God's definition of marriage and desire for marriage. And he says to husbands, you're responsible for making that atmosphere and that vision and that destiny come about. The world is in desperate need of gospel proclamation that God intends, and we have this through this scripture, he intends to display the gospel through marriages. Last week we considered the, the oneness of God as it cascades down into the body of Christ. You have the oneness of God in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. It cascades down to the church, and then it cascades down further to the marriage. Paul describes the union of husband and wife as a mystery because it's, how, how, how do we know Jesus loves? How do we know the ways in which Jesus loves his bride? God says, look at marriages. Look at husbands loving their wives. And you should see a picture of Jesus loving his, his bride. But husbands, see, this is where we have What's the job description of a husband? Jesus. Just be Jesus. Great. We are already aware of our failures and how we're never going to live up to that, so what do we do? We ask, are we proclaiming Christ in our marriages? And specifically, husbands, your love for your wife should be attracting the attention of the lost in your lives, particularly if you have lost children. They should be attracting the attention of your children, your lost children, to bring, and lost people all around, to bring a fuller, though imperfect, a fuller understanding of Jesus' love so they will say, what is that? Can I have some of it? 
That's how attractive our love should be. So here's our main point. Uh, husbands is what we'll unpack. Husbands are called to demonstrate the love of Christ through giving themselves for their wives with the purifying effect of exalting Jesus. We give ourselves and our wives benefit and purifies them so Jesus is exalted. So three components, a love that gives, a love that waters, and then a love that shines. Uh, Love that gives, we typically think of love as an emotion and culture uh, uh, highlights the emotion of love, but the emotion is usually the result of motion. When we love another, we move toward that person. We want to find out more. We want to investigate uh, character. We're asking questions. And the command for husbands to love is an action toward their wives. You, you love your wife. Be motion toward her. Think of all the characteristics of love listed in 1 Corinthians 13 and verses 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. All of those characteristics of love are emotion toward the other person that you're loving. You're moving toward that person, and husbands are told, love like this. Move toward the other on behalf of the other. They're all verbs. Now, the patient and kind, those are the original language. Those are are, uh, participles. They're verb participles. So everything is an action. It's Paul's telling the Corinthian church, don't be impatient, be patient. Choose patience. Move toward patience. Display your love like that. Now, the husband is to move toward his wife in the likeness and example of Jesus toward his people, his own bride. Jesus engaged with those around him. He didn't, when the Pharisees were asking him questions about why he wasn't shunning people, why do you embrace everybody, Jesus? Because he engaged with everybody. He initiated conversations. He begins conversations in some contexts, uh, context, and others, he was setting up an invitation for a conversation conversation when those that came to him he was just welcoming children ran up to him he was a welcoming man there was something about the woman who had the issue of blood for 12 years she knows there's something welcoming about Jesus for her to press through a crowd essentially not essentially but making everybody ceremonial unclean by touching others and then goes and touches Jesus there was something about Jesus that welcomed people coming after him Husbands are to replicate that. Just as Jesus was the first to love, 1 John 4, 9, God loves, we love because he loved us first. Husbands are to give themselves through initiating love, making the first move, following with subsequent moves. Husbands are to pursue their wives. It doesn't end when you get married. We are to continually pursue. As we know, through the years, Our wives change their minds, they change their desires, they change the way they interact with you. Pregnancies change everything. You have to, we we are, that's our pursuit, we we investigate our wives. We could be the same, husbands, men, 25 years old, 55 years old, pretty much the same. A woman at those ages, very different situations. 
but the husband is tasked to pursue and know and, and initiate that intimacy. So we, we are to pursue. We're to pursue in a way that gives a welcoming response. We want to pursue and move tenderly toward our wives to provide a welcome. We want to have an atmosphere, of, a welcoming atmosphere that they can come to us. So we pursue them spiritually, promoting growth in their relationship with God. This looks like um, uh, understanding Scripture together and talking through it. This looks like you serving your wife so she can have a quiet time. She can have a devotional time with the Lord. This looks like you serving her and making opportunity for her to flourish in her relationship with God. We also pursue our wives emotionally. I probably have said this story because it was so meaningful in my life. I was... One day, Kath and I were talking. This is maybe, maybe it had been married four or five years, and she's telling me the story, and I'm with it. I'm telling her, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to say. Go back to this person. And after we finished, after I finished and thought it was a pretty good job, uh, Kathy said, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just frustrated right now. Why? I'm just giving you some cool wisdom. You walk in this, everything's going to be good. She said this, she said, I, I want you sometimes just to listen and not fix it. All right, got to try to figure out what that even means. Maybe, I don't know if it was months or years later. She's telling me a story, and I was <laughs> sitting at the counter, I'm eating something, and she's telling me the story, I'm, uh-huh, yeah, oh, wow. Eating, yeah, wow. She, Kathy finishes, and then she says, well, well, what? What am I supposed to do? I said, oh, I thought this is one of those listening times. Wasn't supposed to fix it. But this is what I realized in that moment. Oh, I need to capture my wife's heart. I need to be welcoming and receive her so she can receive me and receive my wisdom. And I have tried. I have been imperfect, but I have tried to, to hold on to that. What does it mean for me to capture my wife's heart? What does it mean for me to hear her and she feel like I hear her in order to receive the, the leadership and help that she's looking for? So we, we pursue emotionally. We pursue physically. We Husbands, we are to romance our wives. And we are to know their intricacies so well that they feel loved through our, uh, our, whether it's your wife loves gifts or she likes words of encouragement, whatever. You know your wife, but you are to pursue her to romance her. You are to continue to woo her and provide that welcoming response from her. The husband pursues his wife as the one set apart for his love uh, in in verse 26, that he might sanctify her. Uh, Jesus' love toward his bride, his love uh, brings his bride up out of her circumstances, out of the world, out of everything. So the bride knows, we as Jesus' bride and the church knows that we are his and his alone. The husband's love and pursuit should do the same thing, that as we love our wives, they, they rise up. They get lifted up out of circumstances, just like Jesus did for us. Now, gentlemen, uh, your wife should, be, should know your passion for her. It's to be only seconded to Christ. We love Jesus. We love our wives. 
pursuing the knowledge of Christ together, experiencing life, experiencing growth in Christ together. Then we are also to provide for her needs. It's easy for a man to reason that he works hard to provide a comfortable life for his wife and kids so he should be left alone and have his own time, hence man caves and such. This is not how Jesus gave himself for us. Giving the way Jesus gives himself is always engaging. It's always welcoming a response. So provision for, from a husband should be financially. This doesn't mean that he is the only uh, provider financially, but because situations may be different, but he is to provide the leadership in finances, in decisions, in spending, whether it's, uh, you know, husbands and wives usually marry, the, you have spenders and savers, and you typically marry the opposite of you. There's a lot of tension when it comes to finances in a marriage, because why do you keep on spending? Why don't you spend enough? Why are you so stingy? Because we want to live tomorrow. That's why I'm stingy. Don't want to spend it all today. Got to work through those issues. But the husband is to provide the overall leadership of that cascading grace and oneness in those decisions and in the spending. And he's also to provide spiritual provision, emotional provision, and leadership in those. Now, here's the big question. Husbands, how many of your wives, your wife's needs, should you meet? All of them. The wives are like, yeah. yeah. We'll talk about this next week, though. Sometimes, now, you have to distinguish wants and needs. That's crucial. But when the wife has a need, the husband's responsibility is to meet that need. Now, that might be a big gap between here's the need and here are the resources to meet the need. There might be a gap in between those, but the husband looks to honor his wife and love his wife in a way to say, I know that's a need for you. I want to meet that need. Some could be very, it's just time. You meet the need with time. That's a resource. Other times it's finances. Well, we got to wait for the money to do that. Or can we come up with a plan to figure out how to do that? But you are to meet all of your wife's needs. Jesus gave himself completely for us. Even, the scripture says in Philippians 2, emptying himself for our greatest need. Salvation. He emptied himself to save us. Have this mind among yourselves, he said to the Philippians, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Gentlemen, we find our greatest joy by emptying ourselves for the good of our wives. Now that is uh, a love that gives, then Paul's describing a love that waters with a cleansing word. Paul described the activity of Jesus' love as applying the word of truth to cleanse. Husbands are to work hard at knowing and strategically applying the truth of the word of God into the hearts of their wives. Presumably, the husband should be a man of the word himself in order to apply the word with his wife. Now, too often, we are lazy when it comes to being men of the word. And we don't know. And so usually, 
in the situations that happen in our marriages, we come with a, a natural reasoning to a situation which only frustrates the wife because it's not a biblical reason of why to do things. We don't have that mindset. The whole, we haven't uh, had the, the, the deposit of the Spirit, uh, the deposit of the Word for the Spirit to highlight for us and say, oh, too often our relationship or, or conversations sound more like, well, I think the Bible says this somewhere. That's insufficient. We should know. Now, you got apps on your phone that are really helpful for that. They're really, really helpful. That little search thing, little magnifying glass, use that thing. But don't just have, don't have the situation just to, just kind of, we think it dissolves because the husband can go away, away and not pay attention to it anymore, but it's still frustrating the wife because it's like, you know, we never resolve this and it's not resolved in me and I'm wearing that every day and I'm feeling it because I'm emotional and what's going on here? The husband's like, what? When do we talk about that? Only adding to the frustration. Now, we, we are to apply the word and, and have the cleansing of the word, not out of, out of a, a position of superiority, but of love, selfless, emptying, sacrificial love. This is, uh, this is a tender approach that fits the occasion for the wayward soul. The husband should be precise in his use of the truth to encourage and not tear down. It is sinful for husbands to use scripture to get their way or to silence their wives, to be some tyrant or dictator. The application and the cleansing of the word of truth provides a canopy of trust. Have that, that phrase. It's a canopy of trust in our marriages that will promote the free flourishing of your wife. It will be a greenhouse of trust where holiness is experienced for the removal of the spots and the wrinkles. And too often marriages look disheveled rather than well kept. And the reason they do is because husbands aren't watering their relationship well. There's not a canopy of trust. There's a canopy of suspicion or neglect, questioning love rather than experiencing love. This canopy of trust shows up in a trusted protection. Paul describes protection in marriage by reminding man how his natural inclination is to protect himself. Love your wife as yourself. They are to love in a way that that assumes... Now, let me say this first. Um, This is not... There's a weird thing going around the church world that... When, when the second greatest commandment, Jesus, what are the greatest commandment? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And two, the second one like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There's this weird thing going around that you have to learn to love yourself before you can love your neighbor. That's not right. We are told what? Deny yourself and love your neighbor. Our problem is that we don't, we have a twisted way of loving ourselves. And sometimes that shows up in pity most of the time it shows up in pride, but both are, are the, the, we're on ourselves. So Paul's not saying, look, love yourself, husband, really well so you can love your wife. That's not what he's saying. Gentlemen, we love ourselves already too much. 
We got that down. Like, I love myself, and I can get everybody in my house to love me really quickly by some harsh word. Or, or ignoring, or silence. We are to lead in self-denial, not in self-demand. Paul is appealing to these husbands for their sense of protection over their bodies to help them understand how to protect their wives. Men are not given to self-harm. Women are given to self-harm. When a woman is feeling the emotional terror in her soul, her temptation is to wound herself. Men don't do that. We, we protect our bodies in that way. Even when there's emotional turmoil, that would be an odd thing for us to, to deal with. So we are to protect in ways. And think about this. Men, uh, men don't let much deter them from a meal. And men don't let anything get in the way of their sleep. We protect ourselves. And so when we put that on, I do that. I make sure my needs are met. I need to make sure my wife's needs are met. And this is what Jesus, how he does this for us in the words nourish and cherish. I love these two words. Now, admittedly, they sound more like what men are supposed to do in Hallmark movies, but they do describe the activity of Jesus' love for us precisely and the depth of what our love should feel like to our wives. Now, the word nourish in the original language meant to bring up to maturity, to promote growth. To, to, to bring it up. The concept is that the husband's love should grow his wife into her calling as a woman, biblical femininity, as a wife, and as a mother. So our nourishing, our bringing up, we should be looking for our wives to fulfill God's calling in their lives. And we should nourish them to see it come about. And the word cherish, original word means to warm as in a warm blanket on a cold day. You put these two concepts together, nourish and cherish, it reveals how a husband's love for his wife, listen, provides the security to elevate the work of Christ in her life. It settles the woman to be who God's calling her to be. And it's incumbent and the duty and the command of the husband to make sure it happens, make sure it's taking place. Husbands are to lift up their wives with their words of affirmation and encouragement and, and, and service so their marriages will shine. We give ourselves, we water, so there's a shining. There, there's an attractiveness, there's an attraction of our marriages because Jesus, when he's elevated, what happens? Jesus said, when I be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. Our marriages should be pictures of that. Marriages are to attract attention for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons, for the good of seeing Jesus. Marriages reveal the mystery of Christ's love for his church. We should, we should understand that uh, the mystery component is more like, God, why would you take sinful creatures, redeem them, and then put up with their sinfulness even more in your relationship with them? Why not just take us to heaven immediately? That's proper wonder in that. That's the mystery component. So husbands are to show that too. 
to wives who are struggling to be patient in those moments, to not neglect or ignore, but to engage in the process. It takes work. And what's our temptation? I just want to sit down and do nothing. Because when I, when I churn this soil, thorns and thistles come up too often, and I, I don't want that anymore. Each of our marriages are commissioned to show the world how extravagant Jesus' love is for his church and how deep Jesus' love is for his church. People, people should be asking us why we're so happy in our marriages. You know, if you're uh, older, that question usually comes, it, people should be wondering, is this a second, third marriage for y'all? Because y'all are really romantic. Because it provides the opportunity to say, oh, no, 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 this is the wife of my youth whom I love with all of my heart. That's rare today in our world, who is lost in the confusion of these relationships. A husband's love for his wife has the effect of making her more beautiful by that nourishing and cherishing and that holiness. Just as Jesus' love makes us more like him, we become more holy because he loves us. Not because we do a great job. When we recognize his love for us, then obedience follows. And when the obedience follows, all of a sudden we recognize him becoming more and more like Jesus because he loves us into himself. We are to do the very same for the wives of our youth. Jesus is, is uh, presenting for himself, but also for the father, and a husband's love for his wife should make her more Christ-like in, in behavior. But this is where I think when husbands are able to say, you are more beautiful to me, the day we got married. It's because there's an effective love that makes our wives more beautiful, physically more beautiful to us. And the world takes notice. We're to present our wives to the world in a way as the example of what Jesus' love is for us. Now there's some pitfalls we need to avoid. We must be aware of our tendencies, gentlemen, to work against the shining light in our wives' lives. Paul tells the Colossian believers that they were not to be harsh with their wives. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. That word can also be, the word harsh can be translated bitter. Don't be bitter with them. Harsh, it's, the, it's a combination of bitterness that you're sowing bitterness into someone else, but you're also experiencing a bitterness in your own soul. The root of bitterness it's described as a root because a root goes deep and it grows. And it grows in wives whose husbands don't walk out their roles that God calls them to walk out. We embitter our wives through our laziness, our impatience, our sharp responses, our critical comments, when we feel like they haven't met our expectation level like we want. These don't promote the light of Christ. They snuff it out. And when it snuffs out, misery is the result. And sadly, in too many times, I have met with couples that have been married for a long time, and they, they, gave, up, they gave up on the shining light of their marriage about five to ten years in. And I remember one couple several years ago, they had been married for 30 years, and they gave up on it around year eight. And so that just becomes cohabitation. And it's not fulfilling. It's not the shining light that Jesus wants. Yeah, they're still married. 
They're both believers. But there's more for us to experience. Our lack of love, gentlemen, will tempt our wives toward her struggles of control and comparison. We are not loving them when we leave them out in the cold. We are to cherish them, warm them. And we are to warm them by taking up our role when we want to be negligent. We want to abdicate. We want to sit down and be lazy. Another pitfall, so pitfall one would be harshness. Pitfall two would be uh, idolizing respect. When we are more in touch with our desire for our wives to respect us than we are loving them, we will sow misery into our relationship. Uh, And we'll hit this a little more uh, next week. Verse 33, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Here's an all too common uh, pitfall for both husbands and wives. A husband wanting to get respect from his wife will respect his wife. And you do such a great job in this. This, this is such a good meal. Thank you for doing that. Thank, you do an awesome job with the kids. You, that's respect. And the wife's going, you don't love me. I don't feel love from you. But no, you do a great job. Now the wife will turn around when she wants to be loved. She'll give love. So she'll, she'll dote. Maybe write a card or maybe a little gift expression of her love and the husband's oblivious because he doesn't feel respected. See, we, we think that to get respect, we, we give respect. But it's the opposite. Gentlemen, to get respect, you give love. And ladies, to get love, you give respect. Because when a woman doesn't feel loved, she will let her husband know through contention and quarrels and disrespect the comparisons of those other husbands are better than my husband. Those wives have a better life because I'm married to a punk who won't do anything for anybody else. And when a husband feels that and sees it and hears it, he shuts down even more. And those are the ruts, those are the pitfalls that we end up sitting in and don't know how to get ourselves out of. Look, if, if that is a marriage, if I'm describing your marriage, please, please ask for some perspective. Please ask, don't give up on the fire. Don't give up on the light of Christ that wants to be brilliant and extravagant in your marriage. He wants that for you and he has the power of the Spirit given to you for you to accomplish it. Now, do we keep on making mistakes? Yep. Are we frustrated with another because we keep on making the same mistakes? Yeah. But to express Jesus' love, we need to say, no, I'm going to still move toward the person that I don't feel like wants me to move toward her at all. Because, gentlemen, we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. We have the power to rescue and change and set in motion a love in our marriages that we can never, ever extinguish if we will just do it by the power of the Spirit. We will do it. Wives, please be patient. Please be patient with your husband. Husbands, this is where our work needs to be the most fruitful. Because this will tell our children of the love of Jesus. And they'll say, my dad loved my mom so much, 
That's how Jesus loves me? Wow. I want that. And I never want to leave it. That's our desire for our kids and our grandchildren. We want to see that love and feel that love and say, yes, I want that. We take out, we, we, we remove all obstacles from the enemy in our minds and our emotions. Who wants to say, no, they really didn't love you. No, 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 they did because I saw Jesus over and over and over again. And wives are saying, even though my husband is imperfect, he's not per- he is my husband and he loves me. And I'm so thrilled to be married to him. Gentlemen, that is your charge. Love your wife. And love her so well that everybody else takes notice. And they praise Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your gracious challenge to us. That I know as gentlemen, sometimes we need a a swift kick in the pants. Uh, Lord, I pray... Holy Spirit, that you would so uniquely prompt us and and ignite us, engage us with you so we can see the fruitfulness happen in our engagement with our wives. Please, God, may we know your love. May we study your sacrificial love. May we study your nourishing and cherishing of us so we can replicate it and not just replicate it for, out of duty's sake, but enjoy your love as we're expressing your love as you design. Lord, I pray for marriages to be transformed. I pray for faith in husbands right now because we can always love more. We can love better. We can love wiser. I pray, Lord, you would give us understanding on how to do that. Lord, I pray for faith, to see it through, a faith that perseveres, faith that's able to ask hard questions and listen to hard answers. So, Lord, please, show us Jesus so we can show Jesus to the world. We thank you. We love you.